If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Song, song. Songs. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number 250. What? Talk about songs. I am joined by my co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Uh, I am joined by my co-host, Mark Blankenship, who didn't introduce himself. How modest. I didn't realize that as I was saying it, but uh, thank you for knowing me. I feel so seen. <laughs> but what about me? No one's introduced me in a long time. Oh, that, oh it, has been a, it has been a minute. Ruxy, how's it going? Oh, I just said Paddington Bear. What the fuck? You just called me Paddington Bear. <laughs> you know what? I'm... Teddy Ruxman, and you know it, you piece of shite bird eating face of wanker. <laughs> well, we're off to a great start. All right, Teddy Ruxman and Joey Lawrence and Sarah and I would like to tell you that today, on episode 250 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, we are getting super meta yeah. and we are ranking songs with the word song. In the title, yes, it's Mark and Sarah talk about song songs. Uh huh. Mastess. <laughs> it's like the slithering hiss of the devil himself. Uh, it always um, comes back to D in some way. It does. Here we are. So, Sarah, for those listeners who are maybe new to this party or not, who don't recall how we roll in a ranking episode, can you give us a rundown of the rules and regs? Uh, sure can. Um, first of all, there are no rules. Um, we just dance. Second of all, um, uh, every song in the ranking is assigned a points value. We will be ranking 13 song songs today. Mark and I will each assign them a point value favorite to least favorite. So since there are 13, our favorite song on this list will get 13 points. Second favorite will get 12 points and so on. Our scores will be added to the scores of our valued Patreon supporters who also voted in a poll about the 13 songs that we're talking about today. Once those uh, scores have been tabulated, uh, there will be a winner's podium, there will be a loser's podium, and the results have the force of law. I will also add that there are many, many more songs than 13 that have song in the title, but we we had to make some tough decisions. We didn't want to talk about songs we'd already talked about before. There are certain songs on here that we didn't want to talk about, even though they've ranked really high among the Patreon supporters, because we hate 
those songs, but you know, this this is the life that we have chosen. So I yes, and I will add that as I'm about to read you the list of the songs we're counting down today, you mean you may notice that this is a bit like comparing apples and wooden shoes. Uh, <laughs> it really, it really is. It really is. But uh, know that we we have heard your concerns before you even voiced them, and uh, you know we can't. We can't sit here and rank 51 songs while wearing adult diapers. We just we just can't do it or have chosen not to. But I, I think that at the end of the day, what's going to happen today, Sarah, is we're going to have a really interesting conversation about a variety of genres of songs. And they're going to all in some way funnel up to the notion of metatextuality. Oh, didn't even have that on your bingo card, but here we are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's. I think it's going to be a really interesting experiment, and I do want to say thank you to the patrons for helping us select yes. many of the songs on this list as well as vote for them. And if you are not a Patreon supporter but you would like to be so that you too can participate in the wackadoo experiments that we use this podcast to um, enact, you can join us at patreon.com slash mastas. That's M-A-S-T-A-S, just the one S on the end. Um this list is not dull. I will I will say that. Hell no. Um, Mark, can you run down the 13 songs in alpha order that we will be contemplating today? Yes. And oh my God, even though they don't all cohere into an obvious package, they're such an no. interesting group of songs. I can't wait. So in alphabetical order by title, we will be discussing these 13 songs. Annie's Song by John Denver. Another Sad Love Song by Tony Braxton. Divorce Song by Liz Fair. Killing Me Softly with His Song by Roberta Flack. Love Song, One Word, by The Cure. Nightingale Song by Toad the Wet Sprocket. Porpoise Song by The Monkees. Song for My Sugar Spun Sister by The Stone Roses. Song for the Lonely by Your Friend and Mine, Cher. This Song's Just Six Words Long by Weird Al Yankovic. Thong Song by Cisco. Valley Winter Song by Fountains of Wayne and your song by Reginald Dwight, aka Elton John. Oh my God. This is like <laughs> just hearing the list again, it's like, what what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> like <laughs> tr- I feel like truly. this is the kind of thing that if if these songs were <laughs> ingredients in a witch's spell and you put them all into the pot, the pot would just melt. Mm-hmm. There'd be like there would be no spell tonight because we just the, the witch would be like, you know what? I'm burning a hole into the woods. It's after midnight. I'm going home. Y'all can get your your witch hazel or your St. John's wort or whatever later. Oh, God. She just, like, grabs some toadstools, gets in bed, and is like, I quit. I don't know. <laughs> well, we've also got clips of a lot of our songs, Sarah. And to just kick things off, we do have a clip of Annie's song by John Denver, a song that reached number one. On the Billboard Hot 100 in the 1970s. This is a song that John Denver wrote about his love at the time. And uh, I'm the one who pulled the clip, so we'll talk about that in a second. But first, here's a taste of Annie's song. Like a walk in the rain, like a storm in the desert, like a sleepy blue ocean. 
You fill up my senses. <laughs> Come fill me again. <laughs> now, Sarah, oh, in the God. way that you and your brother Dave have never missed an opportunity to make a fart joke, <laughs> I believe in your entire lives. Oh, God. I do have to note that the line, Come fill me again. <laughs> contains, <laughs> let's say, an opportunity for a prurient interpretation. Oh, it! this is the moistest thing that I've interacted <laughs> with in a while. Um, <laughs> look, <laughs> I had not heard this in years, and my notes are like, oh, yeah, this thing. Oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed for all of us. Like, here's the thing. I, I love this song. I feel like this song which is not much younger than I am, is uh, like it's just always been here. And I associate it with my early childhood and with John Denver being on The Muppets, which is always like the best episode of the year. But John Denver, if John Denver has functioning male genitalia in the style to which you and I have become accustomed (laughs) It, it just is like outside the realm of my imagining that this person has a penis that becomes erect. This is just so, I just feel like I am in a douche commercial and I can't get out when I'm listening to this. That's not necessarily bad, but this is like such 70s like let's sing about nature like this is like if the teardrop on the um native american in the don't <laughs> litter commercial were sentient <laughs> but i, t- I don't if- hate i don't okay. hate it <laughs> in my house in the early 80s um we had some leftover 70s uh knickknacks including an a macrame owl yeah. hung on the wall. <laughs> this is that owl. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Everything from his hairstyle to the soaring strings to like the sleepy blue ocean. Like what oceans have you been to that are sleepy? Like this is a just very. That's like, the ocean that killed all those people in White Squall and the Perfect Storm. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's just an excessively gentle, like, it's what you think lovemaking is when you're, like, five. <laughs> because this there's is exactly, no... This is, okay, this is lovemaking where the guy does not remove his gold watch. And no. I don't know why that's true, but it is true. And he's wearing Sansa Belt slacks. They stay on and they are untented. Like that's right. This is like extremely um, committed handholding. Yeah. The the other thing that this is <laughs> is this song plays, and in all of our minds' eyes, we see a poster, not a photo, but a poster of a single seagull mm-hmm. against a sunset. Yeah. Like that's just it's just has to be possibly, and it's lavender the poster possibly there is a pony um like in deep focus in the background written by someone with crystal gale length hair yes oh my god and this is not dissimilar from the dancing horse show that i recently saw and will truly 
<laughs> never forget in the town of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, in which a woman rode out on a white Arabian horse with a unicorn horn affixed to its forehead. She was wearing a an ankle length cape with a fur trimmed hood. Sure. And this is that. Yes. This is <laughs> this is a teardrop. This is macrame. This is Ken doll genitals. This is my I, I'm surprised, actually, that it was this low. There are few songs on this list that I actively dislike. In fact, there's like two. I expected this to stay higher up than it did, but it just didn't. So this is my number 10 song with four Ooh. points. Okay, well, Sarah, <laughs> despite everything I've just said, oh no, I also get an honest-to-God chill from the melody of this song, which I find so beautiful. I mean, it, look, I have had I have had so much joy just in discussing this, the many metaphors that this has spawned somehow sexlessly. One time in one of the worst moments of my professional life, I strongly encouraged a playwright to include an acapella rendition of this song in a love scene that was staged between two men. <laughs> because I find this song's sincerity and beauty to be disarming, despite all of the things that we just discussed. I was wrong oh, to recommend this to her. I, I think you done. were wrong, but I'm glad that you can admit it. And uh, I think we've all learned something from this macrame experience. Um, I haven't spoken to that playwright in like 15 years. I think we can probably guess why. <laughs> um, but I do find this song beautiful and disarming and in the right mood. Like if you catch me on the right day... Uh, I may be the one with a single anti-litter tear rolling down my face. Sarah, this is my third place song. I mean, you you come let it love you. So I'm going to let you. this song fill me again. Mm, wait. Mm, I, we'll well, keep that in post. <laughs> what, what you do behind closed doors is your business. And uh, <laughs> just throw a coffee maker, coffee maker at the window when you're That's done. Right. And we'll talk about the next song. <laughs> So the patrons put it in fourth place <laughs> with 10 points. So Sarah, you are the least moist. I guess <laughs> the, the the irony. Oh boy. And, and it's really true. Like we talk so much on this show. Some would say only about fucking. <laughs> I mean, it's pop music. We're, what we're, else is there to talk about? Yeah, seriously. There's that's the point. There is truly no fucking happening. Like you said, it's just intense handholding. Um, yeah, this it's, is some Utah Dry County. Now, singing. but that's an interesting segue because next I also pulled a clip of Tony Braxton's Another Sad Love Song. This was Tony Braxton's first top 10 hit in the United States and anywhere, as far as I know, I believe. Um, this is a song that was co written by Babyface, as were many, many of Tony Braxton's hits. And uh, I think that there's a lot of fucking happening in this song. And we'll get to that, but first, here's a clip.
Uh, now, Babyface was the king of a certain type of silk sheet bedroom mm. slow jam uh-huh. from the late 80s to the mid 90s. And this song. There's also a lot of lavender feelings in here. Yes. But the satin handcuff, furry handcuff kind. I mean, this to me, and this song, by the way, picked at number seven, for those of you who are wondering. To me, Sarah, this song is sexy because, A, it's got that baby face slinky beat, but also Tony Braxton's husky bedroom voice is, I think, sexy as fuck. I just think that she makes everything sound like it's smoldering. And she's got some upcoming, I think, Lifetime movie series where she plays a detective or something. I'm sure it's going to be the sexiest detective ever on Lifetime. There's some pretty sexy detectives on Lifetime. Um, <laughs> I did not remember this song. It took me to a talk about um, lovemaking. Like this took me back to like um, what would have been on like late season 90210 B-roll where two characters who probably shouldn't have fucked are like waking up in the in the opening credits of the next episode and being like, oh, Jesus. Um, and those like hideous Fido Dido sheets that everyone had. Um, So she's in fine vocal form. And, you know, I get why this won a Grammy, which it did. I just don't connect to this particular sound. I mean, it's extremely evocative of a like smooth jazz fern bar. Everyone's wearing cheap looking olive suits with massive shoulder pads. Like it, it takes me to a place, but I don't particularly want to be there <laughs> or then. So, and I mean, I'm more of an unbreak my heart guy. <laughs> and uh, I just want to note that's Tony Braxton's biggest hit. It was number one for 11 weeks and it was written by Diane Warren. <laughs> our, one of our many patron saints on this podcast. Yes. Um, I don't dislike this, but I also don't ever have to hear it again. Uh, so this was 11th place for me. It was behind, it was underneath the sexless moisture of John Denver, as it were. So th- three points from uh, from Buncey. I think that's quite fair. And quite frankly, now that he's not making hits every day like he was for a while, I can also really hear that every Babyface song is the same. Uh-huh. So if I don't want to hear this, then I could listen to Sitting Up in My Room by Brandy or Exhale Shoop Shoop by mm-hmm. Whitney Houston. And every mid-tempo Babyface song will happily replace the next. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that snare drum that, is never going to lack for work. And that's good for, right. <laughs> good for everyone. I'm happy for everybody to get paid behind this. I just don't need to, you know, I don't need it. Um, oh, also, um, End of the Road by Boys to Men. I mean, they're all the same song. That being said, I do really like this song. And because this song came out when I was a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. I was just primed to really like it. And that is why I have got it square in the middle, sixth place, eight points. Mm. Yeah, and then makes sense. The patrons agree with both of us. They're actually in between the two of us. They've got it in eighth place with six points. Mm. Okay. Well, I believe, Sarah, that you pulled a clip of the next song on our little list here. I certainly did. It's Liz Fair's divorce song. Um, where are my my so-called life uh, 
email list he's at. Hi, this was um, on a mixtape that someone else made for the MSCL list that I then ran copies of, including the cover art for seriously hundreds of people over the next five years. Um, and I was happy to do it. I still have copies of it. If anyone wants one and has a cassette deck, let me know. Um, <laughs> but this was my first introduction to Liz Fair. And when I got, when I was listening to the tape for the first time and I got to this song, I was like, oh, am I going to like this? And like, I think I didn't really like, I wasn't sure how typical this was of Liz Fair. And I was a little bit skeptical and I really wanted to like it. And then I got to the part of the song that we're about to listen to in this clip. Here it is. But if I'd known how that would sound to you, I would have stayed in your bed for the rest of my life just to prove I was right. That it's harder to be friends than lovers And you shouldn't try to mix the two Cause if you do it and you're still unhappy Then you know that the problem is you And it's true that I stole your lighter This mm. is such a strong um, lyrical insight, I think, in the way she uses detail to sort of... Um, to sort of symbolize that per, that fighting that is specific to the end of a relationship where literally it's just impossible for you to talk about anything mm -hmm. anymore that isn't actually sort of circling, like who is going to call time of death on this relationship? And there are various movements within the song that sort of reflect the life cycle of that I would say, like, t fatal or terminal fighting. Yeah. Um, and it's great to sing along to, like, Liz Fair. This is before she started doing more production and sort of, I think, having more concern about being a singer. This is just her being a songwriter. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, like not inviting to sing along to, but recently we talked about Freddie Mercury and how there are some queen songs that tr like fool you into thinking you can keep up with Freddie Mercury. And then you're like, <laughs> right. well, shit, um, you never have that problem with Liz fair. That sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's, it's a good thing. That said, I thought this was going to be on my metal podium, but some other songs kind of came out of nowhere and, uh, shit. rang my bell. So this is only uh fifth place for me. So that's nine oh, points. Shit. Okay. So a couple of things. Um, I love that Liz Fair calls this divorce song mm -hmm. because in my mind that has always been a very conscious choice to put it in the present tense. Mm -hmm. This is not a song about having been divorced. It's about the actual process of divorcing yourself from someone. Yeah. It's about and the moment when you sort of realize like, well – okay, let's, we need to start calling lawyers because this shit is yeah. not happening. Yeah. And I really like the way that you describe the fact that that moment when everything you say, no matter what you fucking do, is going to end in an argument. Mm -hmm. And um, so for those of you who don't know Liz Fair's album, Exile in Guyville, which is where this song is found. Well, it's on like some earlier mixtapes too, but this is predominantly known as a song on Exile in Guyville. This is the album that made Liz Fair someone that we're still talking about today. 
frankly. Mm-hmm. And the album is just, I think, masterful in its exploration of being a young woman who fucking hates the patriarchy. <laughs> but yeah, particularly also, in pop and indie music and in the Chicago band scene. And, you know, there yes. are many sort of like uh, legendary stories about the um, about the making of this and the demo tapes. And she actually did a um, she actually did a concert um, where she just played this whole album straight through. I went to it with a friend of the show, Mike and Janine, and um, it was really great. Um, it was uh, really cool yeah. to hear those tracks. Um, we will link to some of those uh, legendary stories in the show notes. And if you are listening to this podcast on the Vodacast app, you can click those links to see the articles that we link to. If you're not listening to the Vodacast app, you should check it out. Go to your app store and download the free Vodacast app. That's V-O-D-A-C-A-S-T. And one of the things that we can continue to talk about with the stories that we'll link to there and also with this song is what I find to be her... uh, This is maybe a strange comparison, but I feel like that she has an element of Mark Twain in the way that she writes. Okay. It's so like in the best Mark Twain writing, you think you're reading about one thing and then you realize that you've been reading about three Uh things simultaneously. Yeah. And I love the section that you clipped because she'd said, if I'd known how that would sound to you, I would have stayed in your bed for the rest of my life. Okay. So that makes you think that she is just apologizing for hurting him, which is true. There is a lot of grief and regret. But then the next line I would have stayed in your bed for the rest of my life just to prove I was right. Uh Uh-oh, there's obstinance and pettiness at play as well. And also, like, will this, what could I have done to get you to shut the fuck up? Yep. Like, what could I have done before so that you wouldn't be a fucking sucky baby right now? Hmm. Yes. So then, then to prove you were right about what? That it's harder to be friends than lovers, meaning why can't we just fucking end this and not talk to each other? <laughs> and you shouldn't try to mix the two, because if you do it and you're still unhappy, then you know that the problem is you. Yeah. Oh, but shit. But, like, which you is she talking about also? Is she using the you where she means me? Or is she, like, you? Or, like, you, the sort of general you it, in a koan? Like, it. there's a lot of layering happening. And... I just think that it's so exciting that a song can be so catchy and singable, but also get at so many things simultaneously about what it is like to be furious in the end of a dying relationship. Yeah. And at the same time, it's not too like because of the, the aural soundscape, it's not too hopeless. And like lyrically also like there is a wryness to it that is um, very familiar to anyone who has sort of been at this, crossroads where it's like well see you around see, you know send my t-shirts back this is a song that pairs quite nicely with no children by the mountain goats that we talked yeah. about a mm-hmm. few months ago just the the cleansing rage yes <laughs> but, <laughs> yes this, but this one has more sadness and self-recrimination anyway if you've been listening to this podcast long enough you probably can guess that when i get this excited about the lyrical layers in a song i'm gonna rank it pretty high and um, Sarah, this was actually my number one. Wow. Yeah. I okay. I mean, I because that's not like completely surprising, but uh, I'm not sure I would have predicted that one as your number one. I thought it would be pretty high. And I was wondering going in, but every time I've loved this song for twenty plus years. Oh God, and me too. 
And every time I would listen to it, I would just be like, yeah, this is the one. It just in the moment of listening to it, it was always clear. And so I finally just said, sure, I agree with myself. I, so that's, yeah. <laughs> that's first place from me, fifth place from you. And then the patrons, somewhat interestingly, I think, put it all the way down in ninth place. Hmm. However, I do want to note that we had a patron who said in a comment that was left on the poll for this episode that she had not heard this song before listened to it because of this poll and then put it in her top choices. So, you know, <laughs> nice. I hope that some of you have heard this clip and are now going to go investigate that whole song. There we go. Divorce song. Yeah. Now next on our countdown, every, in every ranking episode, we have a song that we just decide to clip communally. Yeah. Sarah the, doesn't the choose it. Clip. I don't choose it. Yeah. Like the populace, it just it demands to be clipped. And that is what we're doing with Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly with his song. Um, this was number one in the 70s also, just like Annie's song. And before you ask, the reason we are doing the Roberta Flack version and not the Fuji's version is that the Fuji's called their version Killing Me Softly, excising the word song from the mm -hmm. title. And I do not fucking care what Spotify says where they now list Killing Me Softly with his song as the title of the Fuji's version, and they list the artists as being both the Fuji's and Ms. Lauren Hill. Oh my God, I'm exhausted. So that's all algorithm <laughs> shit. The reality is this song is called Killing Me Softly when the Fuji's did it, Killing Me Softly with his song when Roberta Flack did it. Ask me anything. I am a pedant. I won't get over this. Anyway, here's the fucking clip. And so I came to see him to listen for a while. And there he was, this young boy, a stranger to my eyes, drumming my faith with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song. Roberta Flack, ladies and germs. Um, I feel like this song has been in, you know, I was like, the song is as old as I am. And it's always been around. And I just never sort of paid attention to it before. Um, I did a little research about it. I love that this was written about someone else entirely seeing Don McLean in concert. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Him? <laughs> like, okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I will like singing Vincent or whatever the fuck, and you're like, mm. uh, yeah, mm, okay, mm. all right. I mean, look, d cable television hadn't been invented, and people had to seize on things, and that's you know, mis mistakes were made by all of us as teenagers. Um, I this is not in the top half for me, but I will say this: if it weren't for Roberta Flax. Um, vocal interpretation of this story, which manages to be heartfelt, um, but it doesn't over ornament, um, and it it takes the childishness out of it and leaves a childlike um, sort of. I think it's a very good like vocal um, 
she opens a window into what it's like to have a crush on someone who doesn't know you exist because of their art. Um, and there are so many ways that this could have gone terribly wrong. And her control of the performance keeps it on the right side of him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I just want to say that I um, appreciate that and respect her as a vocalist generally. So my sort of eh seeming ranking isn't like, I don't dislike the song. I just liked other songs more. And I'm sure the patrons are going to have some, some words for me about that. But I put this in eighth place, like fond feeling for this song, admiration for the job the vocalist did, but only six points for me on this one. Yeah, I think that, yeah, eighth place, six points. That makes complete sense to me because I've got it in 10th place with oh, four points. Wow, okay. And I actually assumed this song would rank really highly for me because it's just so familiar. Yeah, same. But it just kept um, sliding down. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for one thing, I can't ever unhear the Fuji's version of this song, even though right. that's not the one we're discussing here. Right. I don't know if Sarah, how much you heard the Fuji's version when it was around in the nineties. Oh my God. Daily. But yeah, because you were a person who was conscious. Yeah. Because I was like, not a Mennonite. I did hear it all the time. Even Mennonites like, were like, oh yeah, that shit. <laughs> like all I can hear is why, why going one time, one time. Yeah. Two times, two times. <laughs> yeah. And Lauren Hill's vocal is just peerless on mm -hmm. her version of the song. So it, it benefits this somewhat drippy song that gifted artists like Roberta Flack and Lauren Hill have sung it because it's not like natural woman, which is a great song no matter what, mm -hmm. you know, like Carol King didn't need the help, but Aretha Franklin went ahead and made that song ascend. Right. But this if you song, put like Petula Clark on this, you're going to be yeah. in deep trouble very quickly. I totally agree. <laughs> or if like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or Connie Francis or something. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but with Lauren Hill and Roberta Flack, you do get a lot of the rich emotional life of the song. And, you know, there's a whole backstory. These two guys, Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel, wrote it. One of them says that it's just a myth that it's about Lori Lieberman, who sang the original version of this song, seeing Don McLean in concert. But then there's, like, people dispute that. And it's just like, I honestly don't give a fuck, really. I actually like the idea that this song was inspired by Don McLean. Someone tracked down Lori Lieberman and did a story about this a few years ago. And uh, we'll, again, we'll link that. And if you're listening on Vodacast, that will be, you know, right here in your, in your uh, app show notes. But like, she was like, oh no, that happened. And then I think she reissued the song. Herself. Oh shit. We'll see. But anyway, the point being at the end of the day, the, the, it's just, I I like it. I respect it. And mm. the fact that it's in 10th place isn't, I know we've said this on a lot of our ranking episodes, but it's not an insult to the yeah. song. No, that totally. We're on the same page with that, I think. Yeah. Now, the patrons, by quite some measure, in fact, put this song in first place. Yes, they did. And uh, by like, I think it's like four points ahead of the song that's in second place. So I think that that also makes complete sense. I can also see either you or I, Sarah, going the other way and ranking it really high. Yeah. 
but we didn't. So here we are. So this is, however, it's pretty rare, I think, for us to disagree collectively so strongly with what the patrons put in first. But here yeah, we are. Yeah, usually one of us is at least in the ballpark, but okay. Not today. Um, I'm curious to see where we both put the next song, for which we do not have a clip. This is Love Song by The Cure. It's their only top 10 hit on the Hot 100. It reached number two. In the late 80s. Friday, I'm in love didn't. Uh, Friday, I'm in love peaked at, I believe, number 14. Okay, gotcha. Definitely was in the top 15, but it was not in the top 10. But uh, Love Song also covered later in a jazzy, slowed down version by Adele on her album 21. But this is the one that is the most popular. And I'll tell you what, Sarah, this is a song that I thought I was incredibly familiar with and am incredibly familiar with. But when I listened to it again for this episode, I was delightfully surprised by elements of the song I had forgotten. Like I had forgotten how nice the guitar line sounds, Mm -hmm. for instance. Like this song is not as slow and sad as it was in my memory. There's a lot more uh, bounce to it than I recalled. And the energy of it made it a pleasure, a pleasure for me to revisit. Uh, same. I had this song uh, or this whole album, Disintegration, on Constant Row when I was in college. And, you know, I think we forget because Robert Smith in his um, like visual presentation has become this universal shorthand for the um, melodramatic, gothy depression and angst of adolescence that the music does not exactly convey that in fact um there is as in this song a lot of like lush sort of emotional orchestration that is not negative it's romantic um Mm -hmm. based on the sonics um the it's hard to understand why this band would be associated with this um like, you know, darkness and thunderstorms on the heath. Like, I think it's almost entirely from from Robert Smith just having this, you know, like Edward Scissorhands situation happening. Um, there is longing. There are minor chords. Um, but there is a, like, just romantical quality um, here that... And there's none of the like self-loathing and defensiveness that you get with the Smiths. Mm-hmm. For instance, That's exactly like, right. This is just like, and it's also somewhat romantic in the capital R sense in that the, the artistry is devoted to the beauty of sadness. So, um, and look, I, I put this album on to fuck by. I've I've done it before and I regret nothing. Like you you all with your cocktail twins, I get it, but that's like a little weird for me. This just felt like all right, let's pull the covers up and um you know, <laughs> in, you know, <laughs> enjoy before we die as they say in Wild Horses. Uh this was my number 4 song, 10 points. Well, it was my number 4 song as well. Huh. Hey. Look at that. Look at that. Um, yeah, and I, I, Disintegration is also the album that gave the world Pictures of You, which is just such a wonderful song. It sure is. But let's not forget, I mean, I know you haven't forgotten, but let's 
we as a culture not forget that the cure can also create a song like fascination street which is also mm-hmm. on this album yeah which is loud and weird and like they contain a lot of musical ideas but you're right that at the end of the day they're about pure emotion they're like mm-hmm. unironic emotion which is not the smiths like you said even though those two bands are so often lumped together yeah it's so clear that the cure are the direct pathway to all of the emo music uh-huh. that we listen to like Billie Eilish exists in the way she does because the cure happened. Yes. That, I mean, absolutely the godfathers of phantom. Like <laughs> and yet, with sad jangle more, rock. Absolutely. But with a bit more muscularity, at least for my ear, that makes me like them more than a lot of the phantom bands. Sure. Uh, by the way, the other day I was playing the New York Times spelling bee and phantom was the pangram. So, of course, I texted it to Sarah and said, Phoebe Bridgers is working on this puzzle today. Yeah. And I, I believe I referred to it as a fangram. Fan-gram. Which was amazing. P-H-A-N-gram. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the patrons uh, were right there with us. They put the song in third place mm-hmm. with 11 points. I think that's right. So a very strong showing for Love Song that I think – based on what I'm starting to divine, may actually help this song do really well. Being everybody's third place or fourth place might actually be enough yep. to get you on the podium today. Uh-huh. Um, our next song is... Um, my ranking is not about justice for Nightingale Song by Toad the Wet Sprocket. It's just because I fucking love this song and I always have. We don't have a clip. Um, but first of all, it was the perfect end of the side of the mixtape song because it's 212. So you could just jam it in there. Um, this f- feeling of like driving too fast and like twirling around performatively when you've had two beers when you're a junior in high school. It, like I just... There's just so much like um, trying too hard with the band name Indie Feels happening. And uh, it also brought to mind a later song, um, Ho Hey, like the um, Lennon the and Lumineers. Maisie. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Lennon and Maisie version, um, which is the one I like from Nashville. From Nashville, yes. Um, I just. I, I love this song. I love the harmonies. I love the like drum skip at the end. I just love it. It's it's very um it's very of its time and I think perhaps not necessarily in a good way, but I love it and it is my number 2 song, 12 points. Oh yes, you know what? No need to apologize for what your heart demands. Mm. The the because... patrons were like, oh, <laughs> "Asshole says what?" I think maybe two people voted for it, and one of them was you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe sadness. Um, um, I mean, I saw that it wasn't gonna get many more votes, and I was like, "I'm throwing it a vote because I like it." Um, I want to just say, I think that maybe years ago I told you this story, but there's another song on this Toad the Wet's Rocket album, which is called Fear, mm-hmm. called Is It For Me, uh-huh. where the lead singer relates the story of a friend of his breaking his leg, and then like the other boys all carry him down the hill. And uh-huh. my friend Rachel and I, in eighth grade, tried to adapt that into a play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. I love that. <laughs> which I just feel like is the perfect um, smart kid responds to it. This Toad the Wet Sprocket album is like, let's make it into a play. It's like drunk history, but with a pop song whose lyrics are like very sort of t- t- not subtexty. I love it. Oh my God. 
I really do want to recommend this album to people who are looking for a perfect taste of 90s alt rock because Mm -hmm. there were two top 20 hot 100 hits from this album which is kind of remarkable in retrospect all i want and walk on the ocean which is an alt rock moist song if you ask me the yeah very uh very damp that one but uh i think that there i have such a soft spot for it and i put this song in ninth place and gave it five points but it is truly a song i love I'm so glad that you put it on this list. As you know, when my uh, when I saw that you had included it, I responded in the strong positive. Now, yes. the patrons, I'm going to just say <laughs> that they put it in last place, and I have to believe it's because a lot of people just didn't listen. Maybe you just didn't know it. That's okay. Give or it a chance. they just saw Toad the Wet Sprocket and were like, uh, you crazy for this one, Mastass. It just didn't. They're like, no, we're not doing that. that <laughs> and that's totally that fair. Seems- I get it. That seems possible. That seems possible. Um, but your I can tell you right now, spoiler, your putting it in second place means it's not going to be last place in our rankings today. Huh. Okay. So the patrons may have put it last, but this but the law will not I, allow I it to be. I defy you. So next, however, we do have a song that you chose. I did. It's a porpoise song by the monkeys. Uh, I didn't pull a clip because I feel like we've listened to really a lot of monkeys thanks to the um, teen tournament earlier this year. That's true. Um, and uh, but I I do. This is the theme song from Head <laughs> Head, the monkeys, unbelievably tryhardy movie, um, and the song is tryhardy in all of those same ways. Like the these lyrics are a specific brand of late sixties earnest tree that um, we as a culture, I think, have ad- have adapted to these to this presentation, and we're we're able to like grade it on a curve. But um, you know, this is absolutely something that kids and teens would have thought was very deep. This song, and I'm pretty sure that when the monkeys had their like resurgence and I was in eighth grade, I'm pretty sure I also thought that this was heavy, man. Like, wanting to feel, to know what is real. And you're like, barf. And then you realize that this was written by goddamn Carol King. Carol King, I know, what the fuck? (laughs) And then there's an actual dolphin squeaking in the song. This is everything that made this particular band and their attempts to like be more than the prefab four sort of pitiable, but also catnip to teen girls. Um, But the chorus does have a soaring quality to it. And they are extremely committed to basically being like, but the dolphins, man, like we're all one on this earth and in the ocean. Um, so I I love this song. I feel fond of this song, but it's still only a nice place with five points. Yep. Carol King wrote a psychedelic rock song. King and it, Dauphin wrote it and like not even a particularly good one. I get the feeling she did it as a joke and was like, they'll love this shit. They smoke a lot of pot and they did. Yep. And then like the other monkey song. No, no, she didn't actually write any other. That's the other crazy thing. Of all of the songs that you could have recorded that Carol King wrote, this is the one? Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't have a soft spot for psychedelic rock. 
Fair. I find it to like Jimi Hendrix. I actually really like several Jimi Hendrix songs, but when he gets too psychedelic, yeah, I'm I don't like, love it either. Mm-hmm. Fair. And then Tommy James and the Shondells releasing Crystal Blue Persuasion. I understand that at the time it was a necessary move so that that band can prove that they were more than hanky panky. And I think we're alone now, but I'm not sure that they needed to prove it in this way. <laughs> um, yeah, I find this song. Okay, I made the mistake of listening not only to the album version or the film version of the song, which is under three minutes. I also listened to the so-called single version, which oh, I cannot believe the song was released as a single. No, I can't. Either. That version is actually a minute and a half longer. Four and a half minutes of this shit. Yeah, it's um, not okay. Do you remember? Do you remember how I got when I heard and we talked about Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Uh, yes, I do remember that. I would be approaching that level of hey boo boo with this song, except <laughs> I know for a fact that the monkeys don't take themselves seriously enough for me to get that angry about it. <laughs> that being said, I'm still like, oh boo, boo boo, yeah. I can't with you today. So this is my last place, 13th place, one point. Uh huh. Um, yeah. Much love to the monkeys who we've talked about, as you said many times. Um, and Randy Scouse Git, that's a deep cut of theirs that I love. But yeah. this one's not for me. Um, the patrons are in between us. They put it in 11th place with three points. Huh. That's a little surprising to me. But um, you know what? The monkeys can take it. The monkeys have been big winners before with us. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah. they, can, they can handle this. I actually think it, in a way, adds a little street cred to their victory in our Ultimate Teen Idols tournament. Mm-hmm. Because people care about them enough to not care about some of their music, if you know what I mean. I I do. Like they can handle the they can handle the hit, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, you also brought the next song on our list to the floor. I sure did. It's a song for my sugar spun sister by the Stone Roses. Um, I don't think this probably did super well with the the Patreon patrons, but um, I, you know, this is another one that I associate a lot with uh, the '90s and college, and uh, I pulled a clip. I'm not crazy about the mix on this, um, but there are a lot of stories about uh, the lead singer of the Stone Roses being pitchy as fuck and that they just had to like correct everything. Like he had a pleasant voice, but he could not stay in tune with the actual band. So they had to like remix a lot of things. Anyway, I don't know if that's true. I'm not trying to get sued. Here's a clip and then we can talk about it. song is a little bit weirdly constructed there's basically like two choruses um but i just love this sound i think this is very typical of the stone roses if you like this song you'll like the rest of their stuff if you don't you won't which is fine 
Um, this was the constant soundtrack to my last two years at university and beyond. Um, and I love this band. I love this feeling of like that first really warm spring day and just like sitting out on the quad and someone turned their speakers towards the outside. Um, much as you did with a certain song back in the day. <laughs> Take it back to the cat to the songs we loved in seventh grade episode uh-huh. for the embarrassing story about that. I I mean, I love it. Um, but uh yeah, and just listening to this and also like a lot of Tom Petty and a lot of fucking Pearl Jam, but this was my way of fighting back. Um, in the Butler College courtyard was uh, the Stone Roses. Um, I just have such positive associations with this song. I think it should be better known. Um, it's a sunny day song that's great for driving and just sitting around in your room listening to headphones. And uh, it's my number three song, 11 Points. Oh, all right. Yeah, I had never heard this song before. I don't know that I've ever heard a Stone Roses song before. I have heard of the Stone Roses, of course, but mm-hmm. um, this was probably not the best way for me to be introduced to this band because, like you said about the mix, I just was so frustrated by the fact that I couldn't hear him. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, I, I feel like there's a good song in here, mm-hmm. but I can't hear it. Right. <laughs> Fair. There's too much sludge around the the production. So I, I was just nonplussed and i put it in 12th place <laughs> fair enough that'll happen um as did the patrons so not a not a huge showing today but i am tempted now based on what you just said to at least go back and listen to this album yeah, I and i can make some I, I, recommendations of um songs that are also typical where you can actually where it doesn't seem like it was assembled from like b-roll so yeah and um, I can also see how if this were, if I were listening to an album, that this song would be a welcome like moment of blissed out ex- uh, sound in an album mm-hmm. context. Yeah, it is. Um, and listeners, definitely add us at Talk Songs on Twitter and elsewhere if uh, if you have suggestions for Mark's um, Stone Roses journey. I assume based on Spotify that it would include the song "I Want to Be Adored," which is their most listened to song. But I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that one's kind of, I don't know. I feel like that was overplayed by people I knew. We'll we'll talk about it later. Right. I mean, But, but for me, it'll be completely underplayed because I've never heard it before. True. So here we go. Um, all right. Now, next, in the same way that I think that longtime listeners might not be surprised that you, Sarah, picked a late 80s song from a popular indie band mm-hmm. for the list, longtime listeners will not be surprised that I picked a share song. But here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, I selected Cher's Song for the Lonely, which was not a top 10 hit on the Hot 100 and therefore did not feature into our episode 200 ranking of Cher's biggest hits. Um, I also just wanted to include a song that was pure pop joy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted another song by a woman on the list. So all of those things were included in my rationale. But also Song for the Lonely is just, to me... It, look, is it basically believe part two? Yes. Yeah. It, is she going for the same disco fizz experience? Yes. But there's something about the lyric. This is a song for the lonely, um, for the battle scarred, uh, broken hearted, 
I'll be by your side. It's just like Cher standing up. And, and I've always heard it as saying to all of the gay men who love me, I am singing this so that you don't have to feel isolated and alienated. And uh, I have just. When heroes fall in love or war, they live forever. Like that, that seems to be exactly the messaging that you just spoke about. I mean, right. I've always imagined that and she didn't actually perform this in concert when I saw her, which I was sad about, but I've always imagined her. I have this very vivid image of her being at an outdoor pride concert singing this song and there are just pictures of gay heroes behind her and then yes. eventually she just starts putting up pictures that this is how deep this fantasy gets then she's asked people in the crowd to send in personal photos and then she starts putting those up uh-huh. in the background and it's just like a moment of huge community i have created this narrative for the song but it really makes me love it even more seventh place seven points um this song like yes it is believe part two but believe like i like believe um this is very obvious pandering that is also completely sincere. Um, I respect that it is three minutes and 21 seconds long. I respect the professional build. I respect that Cher understands her audience. Um, and I like added this to my sort of like walking around, put my old lady walks playlist because it's, I mean, it's just classic share. I'm a little surprised this didn't chart. Everyone may have had believe fatigue. I get it. But I also had it exactly in the middle. Um, Seventh place, seven points, which I was a little surprised that it was able to stick that landing on this list. But good for her. It's a good song. I mean, that's that's all there is to say, right? Everything you said, I completely agree with. Um, Tenth place from the patrons, four points. Yeah, fair. But- at the Mastis prom, we should probably play this all the same. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Now, next, I, I did pull a clip from our next song, even though this song, it's not like it's a masterpiece, spoiler. But we've just never spoken about one weird Al Yankovic on this show before, Sarah. And I wanted his first appearance to include a clip because I, I think we may have spoken obliquely or at least uh, tangentially about the fact that Weird Al seems to be one of the nicest people ever you've told the story several times actually about meeting him at the vmas and he was very nice to you yes even though i was being demented but it's fine i just he's think that weird apparently that, love that guy he's been making music for like 40 fucking years at this point everyone likes him he's like dolly parton in that way mm-hmm. like you know not all of his songs are masterpieces but his great songs are great and even in this song this song's just six words long which is a parody of George Harrison's cover of I've Got My Mind Set on You, um, which had recently hit number one when uh, Weird Al released his even worse album in 89, the album that I bought when I was in fifth grade, because I really do believe that all nerdy kids in about fifth grade fall in love with Weird Al. Yes. That's like the perfect time as a nerd. I I think my first Weird Al was in 1983, which was fifth grade, and that was... um, like uh, Weird Al in 3D, I think, was the album. Yep. There's just something about fifth grade where you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, And even worse is the one that has fat on it and the La Bamba parody Lasagna, which uh-huh. was just a masterpiece as far as I was concerned. Yep. Um, But here is a little clip of this song's just six words long.
to do it, to do it, to do it, to do it, to do it right, child. This song is just six words long. This song is just six words long. This song is just six I mean, it helps that I love the original um, uh, that he's parodying. I respect that it must have been, even for Weird Al, a pants-wedding experience to step to a former Beatle in this way. <laughs> yes. um, but the, the quote lyrics of that song kind of had it coming. Um, and he does a gag later in the song about that there should be a good rhyme here, and then he doesn't rhyme it. That's like just classic Weird Al. Like you're sort of in the, the latter third of the song and you're like, he, you know, this was the wrong pick because he can't get anything else out of this joke, but he does. Um, and uh, I don't know, like I just had, um, pretty uncomplicated fun listening to this and seeing how he was going to come at this particular song. So I put in sixth place, eight points. Hell Fuck them yeah. kids. Uncomplicated fun is not to be scoffed at. No. And I didn't. And um, yeah, and also this is a good reminder that Weird Al's like got a pretty good voice too. Yeah, as these things go. Um, well, I put this song in eleventh place with three points, just because I really, really like so many of the songs on this countdown or list. Sure. But again, Weird Al, you might be in eleventh place, but you're still number one in my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, Mr. Al, were... <laughs> say say what? Sorry, <laughs> Mr. Al, as yes, I like Mr. to call him. The patrons were very similar to you, Sarah. They put it in seventh place and mm. gave it seven points. Yeah, it it kind of sneaks up on you that you're like, all right, fine. Like, I know it's a parody, but he does it so well. I know. And I do also really like the part where he says, you got to have a solo. He sings a whole verse about how the solo is coming and then the <laughs> solo comes and it's so dumb and good. And I just really <laughs> yeah. like it. I gotta fill time. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, and then this is also the album that contains the unforgettable Weird Al original, stuck in a closet with Vanna White. Uh huh. That's a good one. Oh, classic. Okay, next we have Cisco's, and dare I say, the '90s defining horniness song, mm-hmm. "Thong Song," which, in retrospect, I really should have clipped, but we don't have a clip for it. But I mean, if you were around in the late 90s, early 2000s, actually, this song came out in 2000, I think. So early, early 2000s. Right. Um, You know this song. This is the song that features <laughs> features the line, she's got dumps like a truck, 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 thighs like what, 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 baby move your butt, butt, butt. I think I'll sing it again. And then he sends the whole song singing about wanting to see that thong. He opens the song by saying, ladies... Let me tell you what guys talk about. And then at the end, after he's been singing for like three minutes, he goes, I don't think you heard me. And then proceeds to scream out the word thong at the top (laughs) of his voice. And I, I have known this song and enjoyed the ludicrousness of this song. But for whatever reason, this time it just hit me exactly right. It's so stupid, but so joyous. It's like, Horny but harmless, kind of like Pour Some Sugar on Me, which we talked about once. Uh-huh. Sarah, this song makes me so fucking happy. I, I, it, it, it's just it's just insane. But you can tell that the whole thing is kind of a goof. Also, I don't know. I just love it. So where'd you rank it? 
Second place, ah! Sarah. 12 okay. points to Thong Song. Well, here's the thing. Um, this, I mean, I've had thong, 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 thong stuck in my head ever since preparing this episode a few days ago. Um, I probably hadn't heard the actual song in its entirety in 15 years. I'm definitely all set until, you know, 2036. Like, I'm all good. Um, this song is like, I don't hate it, but I, I don't want it. And um, it's it just keeps going. And you know what a weird thing is? Like, this is neither good nor bad. It's just an observation that... This, he's a good singer, and this is a total waste of his of his instrument, actually, because he's just like he has a good he has a good instrument, and it's not really being deployed. Like, <laughs> forget the content. Like, the content is fine. I I enjoy that this basically novelty song about butts and underwear like <laughs> dominated our lives for like eighteen months. Like. Okay, that's how it goes sometimes. Um, but th- this is just like, oh, that's why I haven't heard this in a while. <laughs> I don't like it. Last place, one point. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Sorry, buddy. What? Oh, my God. This is amazing. <laughs> I seriously was like, I've been tracking, of course, which of your rankings we haven't yet gotten to. And Mm -hmm. I was like, did Sarah put this first? No. You sure fucking did. No, I did not. Not. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Oh, my God. See, this is the thing. Maybe Cisco was right when he said, I don't think you heard me. (laughs) I I mean, I heard him. And I'm not happy about it. (laughs) So my second place song is your last place song. last. Amazing. Mm, that yeah. actually is incredible and I love it so much. And the the patrons put, <laughs> the patrons put it in the middle <laughs> at sixth place uh with eight points. But sixth place. Oh man. Well, okay. <laughs> That's but like but you're like, you know what? I think I'm good for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm all setsky. <laughs> Oh, well, now, based on the two songs that are remaining, I actually do think I know what your first place song is. But let's see if I'm right. Um, You also selected the next song. So why don't you tell us about Valley Winter Song by Fountains of Wayne? Uh, It's just a wonderful song that, like so many of their songs do lyrically, really gets at the experience of being in and of North Jersey. Um. And these like sort of bittersweet harmonies in this song, like I can see the snow, the detail is just unbelievably on point. We had a um we had a twofer of Fountains of Wayne songs at some point, which was suggested by Mike, who was, I guess, the patron saint of this episode. Um Red Dragon Tattoo, which we were like, eh, and Stacy's Mom, which we were like, that's a banger. Um, this yep. song is off the same album as Stacy's Mom, uh, Welcome Interstate Managers, I think. Um, yes, correct. One of their best. Uh, I re-listened to it again recently. Uh, we really could not, as a culture, 
sustained the loss of Adam Schlesinger last year. And this song is a good example of why. Here's a clip. I really had to work to get it under a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, copyright. But uh, I just wanted to get all the different sonic things that it's doing in there for people that aren't familiar with it. So here's a clip. Remember New York staring outside As reckless winter made its way From Staten Island to the Upper West Side Widen out our streets along the way That bridge, I just, I love it so much. This is like the sound of going home for break when you're in college or your 20s and like seeing your exes and having those like frosty makeout sessions around a keg in someone's backyard whose parents went to Gestad for Thanksgiving. Like I just, the way that they can get at certain kind of soul deadening but also memorable and relatable experiences of alienated tri-state not that young youth is amazing and this is a nice song to listen to too it's aurally um pleasant and rueful and evocative so uh yes this is my number one jersey represent 13 points well i had not heard this song before and i'm so glad that you gave me the chance to hear it because not only do I love this song, which I think is a great descendant of Simon and Garfunkel mm -hmm. and Paul Simon's ability to make Rue part of the description of what's happening outside his window uh -huh. and also to combine it with a lovely melody. Like, I just think that this is a brilliant example of why that type of songwriting works I have been listening to the rest of the Welcome Interstate Managers album because somehow, like a fool, I never listened to this album, despite the fact that I had bought the album that had Red Dragon Tattoo on it all those years before um, and knew Stacy's mom, obviously. But I have been really enjoying this whole album, and mm -hmm. that whole experience is because you put this song on this list. And I put this song in um, fifth place, but I actually think I, un I it, it's too low. It should probably be higher on my list, I mean, but it's not. These things happen. Do. Someone's got to be in fifth. I get it. But this is just to me the find of this episode. I am so so glad that you put it here. It is oh. such a pleasure to listen to this song. Like it, it just has a sort of timeless quality. It does. Like you can picture that house that he's talking about with the windows yeah. painted shut. Yeah. There are just certain songs too that sound like they belong to all decades. Yeah. This does have a the boxery quality to yeah. it that it writes it writes the visual for you in your head in the same way that the boxer does, and not just because they're both talking about sort of alienation in the snow, right? <laughs> yeah, or I am a rock too. Yes, uh, but yeah, there's just it's something there's something also about caring about or respecting someone enough when you write about them in a song to give them detail. 
Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. just something so nice about the fact that the person he's singing to, he cares about her enough to give her detail. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then there's the song on this album, Hackensack, that I also really like now. Mm-hmm. Bright Future oh. in Sales, I think, is off this album, which yes, I, which so I lo- like how many times were we, you know, drunk in a planter at the Port Authority? Like, I, I don't even know where I live. I hope they just open the bus doors and roll me out at Summit because. You know, it's so interesting that Stacy's Mom should be the hit single from this album because it's really so unlike the rest of the songs on this album in a way. Yeah. Still a great song, but not exactly the same. Yeah. Anyway, fifth place for me, fifth place also from the patrons. So huh. both of us are giving the okay. song nine this, points. This podium is going to be super interesting. It's a complicated It's a complicated podium. Yep. But I'm going to tell you who's not going to be on the podium, I don't think. Mm. Elton John. Now, look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Your song is, I just want to read something that one of our patrons wrote on the poll. This is from Jen H. I have profound ambivalence about your song. My father died in 1999, and I chose your song as part of the music for his funeral, and it was perfect in that context. But no one ever tells you that if you choose a song for a loved one's funeral, you will be randomly blindsided by grief for the rest of your life. Anytime your song comes on at a store, at a social gathering, in fucking Moulin Rouge, I'm immediately back in that moment. I guess it's a testament to the power of music to evoke our deep emotions. Okay. That is, I think, a really wonderful story that I appreciate, Jen. You shared that with us because it's really beautifully said. I think it also speaks to the fact that your song has transcended being a song at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a cultural marker than a song. Yep. And it is almost, in a way, pointless to think about is this a good song or not because it's like saying is over the rainbow a good song i don't fucking know is oxygen a good element <laughs> um, i'm a fan but that being said your song is effective it was also elton john's first top 10 single in the united states it peaked at number eight it is clearly a song that everyone knows it's become one of those every montage ever type songs and it does contain a lot of power for a lot of people still i am not one of those people i put this song in eighth place only because i don't hate it and i have to acknowledge that i have enjoyed listening to it in my life but at this point if i'm going to choose a song with the word song in the title by elton john i'm going to choose border song which is the holy moses song Mm -hmm. um i think that there are so many great elton john songs including you know, with great lyrics by Bernie Toppin, but I cannot get behind if I were a sculptor. But then again, but then no. again, no, like shut the just, fuck up. Just the phrasing of that is repellent to me. Yeah, I, I a lot of, yeah. do not so, like this song. Um, uh, I will just I will just end with this. There are a lot of the Bernie Toppin's worst lyrical qualities in this song where he thinks he's being clever and instead he's just being twee that is exactly what i had in my notes that i was like this is a lot of toppin's um least attractive songwriting instincts yes all on offer here um and the self-regarding delivery um by elton john like 
And he just he just does that. Like he just mm-hmm. puts mustard on it all the time. And either you're in the mood for that or you're not. Um, but this particular this particular song, like I've just never I've never connected with it. And there are certain like twee phrasings that like this is the I think most um not cynical, but the most sort of like, we're just going to unsheath this nerve ending and stamp on it. Um, instincts of the two of them as a as an artistic pair um, or a mm-hmm. creative pair. So um, I hadn't heard this in a while because I, I will leave a room to get away from the song. Um, but, you know, uh, the craft, like I, you know, I respect the craft. Like there, there's a reason that this was a breakthrough single. Um, part of that is when it broke through, but, but you know, part of it is like, the, yes, this is a somewhat um, not craven, but like this is a calculated um, build. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Better, like better to calculate. Why not? This is a business. Um, I just, I just think that it's, it's not even moist. It's like sticky um with its own with you know its own self-regard i i don't Mm -hmm. care for it so this is i mean i'm not sure why i ranked this one ahead of uh of old cisco (laughs) um but there's something like i have to acknowledge this one's like contribution to the culture at another level that you were talking about that it's like it's sort of beyond being a song Right. At this point, and is now like a, you know, metonymous thing. Um, but yeah, 12th, two points. I actually think that Ewan McGregor's performance of this song in Moulin Rouge might be my favorite because he's got a certain innocence and the way he sings it in a certain joy. And I think you're right that Elton John's performance here is unusually mannered. Yeah. I mean, that's that's true of uh, several songs in Moulin Rouge and also in um, like there are certain versions of songs that I prefer the American Idol version because the um, whoever is singing the contestant singing it has been basically ordered not to do an imitation. Right. So they have to strip a lot of shit off it and then it winds up being a little more um, authentic and you think you get to think about it in a new way, but I agree with you. I like Ewan McGregor's version better too, because he's, he's just connecting with what he needs and leaving the rest. And Elton is just putting frosting on every single inch of the cake. And it's like, okay, well, and if I may now take a sidebar into Elton John studies, then you hear Elton John sing someone saved my life tonight. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, Elton John really believes in and cares about the narrative of that song because it is in fact autobiographical. Mm -hmm. And that is Elton John telling you the fucking truth through song. And my hairs on my arms just stood up because I love that song. And I think that it's just a stunning document that is his best instincts. And when he's the most real and the least sort of costume. Yes. And I think that the difference between that and the mustard heavy sandwich of this is <laughs> it says it all. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, one of these days we should really dig into uh, his less than zero 
album. Is that what it's called? Is that the one that's got I'm Still Standing on mm-hmm. it? Oh, God. That's I so think good. this is like universally despised. I adore that album. And there are a lot of sort of emotional and authentic connection reasons. Yeah. For that, that I think maybe one of these days we just got to we got to dig into some lesser Elton and and unpack it. But not today. Today, we've no. got some arithmetic to do. So the patrons put it in second place and mm. gave it 12 points. I mean, I get that. I get it too. And I'm not they, I'm not trying to disrespect anyone's choices for it for big occasions either because I think that's part of what it's for. Yeah, and like honestly, the only song on this whole list that kind of makes me a little mad is Porpoise Song, and even that I'm not too mad. <laughs> what about if i remind you that there was an actual porpoise actually squeaking see somehow that makes me less mad it's so (laughs) over the top and insane that i think well at least you committed i'm just like unbelievably embarrassed for everyone involved everyone (laughs) involved well i now i'm going to take us through all 13 rankings because i've tallied it up and speaking of porpoise song, Sarah, the law says that that is our last place track. Mm-hmm. Nine points only mm-hmm. for porpoise song. Oof. And just for perspective, the highest possible number of points was 39, and this song only got nine. Well, what can you do? <laughs> now, doing much more respectably in 12th place with 15 points is Song for My Sugar Spun Sister by the Stone Roses. Okay. Then in... 11th place with 17 points is Tony Braxton's Another Sad Love Song. Wow. That is that is an extremely weird podium. Tony yeah. Braxton, The Monkees, and The Stone Roses, who have yeah. probably fallen off the podium because they're drunk. I mean, yeah. I know they're not the Happy Mondays, but they basically are. I feel like Tony Braxton is like, why the fuck did I show up with y'all fools yeah i'm gonna unbreak your face and then re-break it (laughs) what is wrong with you people now then of course we've got all the songs in the middle but we have an interesting experience happening here at the top of the podium in third place with a mighty 27 points we have divorce song by liz fair Uh uh-huh and this has never happened before sarah we have a tie for first okay with 31 points, very strong showing, um, both Love Song and Valley Winter Song. I love that. I think that that is such a nice, those three songs together, Valley Winter Song, Love Song, and Divorce Song, great trio. Yes. And you have like a, a real sort of cross-section of indie rock. You got some Jersey. You got some feminism. You got some goth. I love it. I and, love it. So what was what was in fourth? Just out of uh, curiosity. Let me see. I've got that written down here. Fourth place was Annie's Song <laughs> by John Denver. <laughs> and, um, fifth place was Killing Me Softly with his song. Okay. That's, oh, that's a hell of a thing. <laughs> so if you think about those five songs together, <laughs> that's a really interesting story. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it got very 70s and very 90s in here, and we all survived. And then somehow, 2003, um, Simon and Garfunkel inflected Fountains of Wayne sharing the gold medal. And I feel like that Robert Smith would be like, I'm too sad and full of feeling to take this medal, so you keep it, Fountains of Wayne. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, probably he's sad because of Adam Schlesinger, and I completely get it. Um, yeah. But I'm not sad that we did this ranking. I mean, some of my some of my rankings, maybe I have some regrets, but uh, this result, while extremely bizarre, I think was correct, which is good because it is now black letter law across our land. Well, and I'll tell you what, am I ever going to be sorry to hear any of our top three songs? No. And that's always a good sign. They can come fill you again. Anytime. They can come fill me again. <laughs> I don't think you heard me. Come fill me again. <laughs> Let me die in your arms. Oh, John Denver. What are you oh, doing? Oh, see, I feel like a, a wide awake blue ocean now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know that the problem is you. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Theme song. Mark and Sarah talk about songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship. That's me and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkandSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. We talk about songs and other things and songs. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am told we can do something called fix in post. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.